Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa, and I give a shit. Thanks for listening. Uh, welcome to Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm here. I've, I'm here with my, my guest, my spectacular guest, Indira Cesarine. Did I say your name right? Yes. Okay. Your last name, your first name I knew. But anyway, so uh, she's an incredible artist and gallerist and like, we're going to get to this in a minute, but uh, for, I just want to uh, let you know that, you know what I wanted to tell you, honestly, guys, it took me two weeks to recover from Thanksgiving. I was really depressed until like yesterday and I can't believe it. And I was really upset with my show last week. Um, you know, my husband was on and it was like one of the worst shows ever. I got to tell you, I don't know why. I think because I, w- I committed to p- play this five-minute song up front, and then uh, I got the sexuality of the guy wrong, and I knew, the girl, girl, see? But you know what? I have the same problem with my cat and my dog. I never get their sexuality right either. So it's not personal. I'm just a crazy person. So anyway, um, yeah, so that got it off to a rough start. But anyway, so I'm feeling better now. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that, you know, holidays are rough. Holidays are rough. So drink a lot. Go to a lot of parties and get really wasted, which is great advice, right, From especially from a fake shrink. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. So here's the deal. I got to get this out right now. We're having a really big fundraising guy. Guys, we're having a really big fundraising push because we may not have money to operate. And we have 70 shows. We're doing so much. We're freeform community radio. And we're, it's a really important mission that we're all on. And we think raising money should be fun. Don't you? <laughs> it's better than working. No, no. Anyway, you, we, we're turning five years old and we need to raise $25,000 in order to keep going. Uh, we're offering a uh, trivia quiz. The top five scores, scorers will win a limited edition five-year anniversary RB t-shirt. And you can also dial 718-673-8201 and leave a message knowing, letting us know why you love RFB or wish us a happy birthday. We may play your your message on the air, which would be really exciting. And then you you can tell your mom and... It'll make your holidays and then you won't have to go into a deep, dark hole like I just am crawling out of. All right. So I'm here looking at the lovely, fabulous, smart, inspiring Indira Cesarine. How did that make you feel that I said all that? She she shifted her eyes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but I mean, I mean, whatever. But um, so here's the thing. I'm going to call Indira an overachiever. And the reason... I, the reason I'm saying this is because if I don't call her that, you will feel like she's going to make you feel like a lazy ass. Okay. She is able to accomplish more than any normal human. And I'm not sure why and how. And I'm going to find out now. Uh, the other thing is, is that. I was asking her before we started, and she doesn't really have a staff. She has some interns and stuff. So she's really doing this all herself. So I'm going to just list kind of what what her her what she does. I'm going to say achievements, but it's really just more 
practices. And then I'm going, she's going to tell you a little bit. She's going to color it in for you. Okay. So first of all, she's an artist, a multimedia artist. She's, you know, shown a billion places, the press, the whole thing. You can go to IndiraCesarine.com and it's all posted on my Facebook page today and find out more about her. But besides that, so she's multidisciplinary artist on her work has been exhibited internationally, including the Met. All right. Uh, then on top of that, she is the director of, of her own gallery, the untitled art space. She's the editor in chief of the untitled magazine. This is so exhausting. Even just talking about this, she, uh, which, so she continues to contribute as a photographer and journalist besides overseeing the publication And then on top of that, she has the Untitled Boutique, an online fashion real estate, real, real retail site, clothes, not, not housing, clothes, folks, Untitled Productions, an event production company, and uh, the art gallery and all that. And um, there's also, and before I turn it over to her, I just want to make a pitch about the Body Beautiful show which is at the gallery now. The gallery is at 45 Lisbonard Street, and it's a really great show uh, with a lot of all sorts of various naked women, including me. I'm naked in it, and uh, you should go see that. And there's an artist talk on Saturday. I'll be there between 2 and 5. So welcome, Indira. It's great to see you. Thanks for coming in. So give us like a broad strokes thing about first your art and then about all your businesses. How's that? Go ahead. Go. <laughs> I mean, that's a little a, closer to the mic. Okay. That's not an easy endeavor. Um, I'll put it in a nutshell. Um, I actually have worked as an artist and photographer for pretty much my whole life. Um, I had my first solo show at 16 uh, I studied art history and feminism at Columbia uh, University in the city. I moved to Paris and London right after college and worked full time as a photographer for 15 years and was exhibiting my artwork at the same time. Um, after now almost two decades of focusing just on my own work, I moved back to New York and I launched the Untitled Magazine because I really wanted to get into collaborations with other artists and expand my repertoire and uh, I launched Untitled Magazine about 10, 12 years ago. Um, five years ago, I launched the Untitled Space Gallery. The art gallery is actually um, located in what used to be my photography studio. So a lot of people are not aware of that, but I converted my own personal art studio into the art gallery because it's a storefront space located in North Tribeca, and I just felt like it wasn't reaching its potential just being used for my office and art studio and that I could open it up, invite other artists to exhibit their work, expand my programming to help, you know, women in art. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing led to the other it really blew up. Um, the production company equally kind of just happened by the wayside of having magazine, the gallery, you start producing events, you know, so it made sense to have some clients occasionally throw some bones at us with some, you know, productions, cocktails, what have you. We've had events for everyone from Richard Branson to Tommy Hilfiger at the gallery, and they always have a nice little budget. So that helps run my uh, operation costs. 
<laughs> Whoa! See, you better be lying down when you hear all this because that's so that's incredible. That's incredible, and you seem like really natural at it. Like you seem like the your vision for whatever you're doing seems to really click. You know, I mean, you work hard and stuff, but you're also you know able to just by na- nature of the quality and the interest, you know, the thinking behind the work or whatever it is that you're doing to actually draw people in, which isn't, which is a gift really. I mean, I, I mean, not that you don't work hard, you know, <laughs> I mean, we're all about that, but it's also, you're able to communicate um, very, very well and naturally uh, through all your efforts, not just yourself. Yeah. I feel like um, when I first launched uh, the magazine, for example, that was a massive extension of my previous career sort of focusing full-time. My main emphasis in photography, I was making my income as a fashion and beauty photographer. So I was shooting for everyone from British Vogue to, you know, French Vogue, Glamour, Dior, Kenzo, like all those sort of luxury brands and magazines, um, which is a very intense career, by the way. I can't imagine. So I think a lot of people don't, they underestimate like, what is involved with working full-time as a photographer. But when I had agents in New York, Paris, London, Milan, Mm -hmm. Los Angeles, and Sydney, I was traveling in a different country, probably three different countries a week, um, living out of a suitcase. I had apartments in New York, London, and Paris to manage my career because I needed a place to sleep. I didn't have time to book hotels. It was just like fly in, fly out, shoot, Mm -hmm. move. And you would be working on the plane. You would be constantly producing, casting, editing, working on the next job. There was a constant flow. I did that for 15 years. Wow. And I got to that point where I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore because I also felt like there was a certain amount of creativity that um, I wasn't able to achieve. Yeah, I felt like... In the beginning, when I started out, it was super creative. And as it evolved, it became more and more like what the clients wanted because I was getting into much bigger, higher caliber mm-hmm, productions. Sure. And the more money you get paid, the more demands mm-hmm, they put mm-hmm. on you. So it got to that stage where I was like, okay, I want to just totally turn this around and focus on my own thing. And I launched my own magazine and had an amazing amount of support yeah, with other very... artists that wanted mm-hmm, to come on board, mm-hmm. photographers, stylists, writers mm-hmm. that wanted to come and collaborate because they wanted that also creative space where they could say and do what they want, create really interesting, beautiful productions mm-hmm. without limitations of clients breathing down their neck saying, no, it has to be like this. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Creative freedom. So here's one of the things that I find fascinating about you that guys, I want to get to the bottom of this. Let's see. Um, is that I'm going to just talk about you in the third, per- talk about you like you're not, not here. Okay. Dear, okay. So, cause I'm talking to these guys here, you guys at home or wherever you are. So anyway, the thing about Indira, if you don't know her or, or haven't go look it up. Okay. Look, look, look at the pictures. She is, um, a powerhouse, but she's also like a very beautiful, glamorous, very well put together person, female. And, um, in, in the stereotype, I think that she's an incredible champion of women. And the stereotype of, and I think I've said this to you before, and dears, haven't, did I say something like this to you before? I'm afraid she's, I'm not sure what you're going to say. <laughs> okay, so maybe I'm going to insult her. No, no, I hope not. I hope not. No, but okay, so here's a little counter transference. She's very like together and authoritative. 
and I am probably a little intimidated. And so I just am afraid I'm going to project that countertransference onto you. So that's about my neuroses, not you. Okay, we got that out. Um, so here's the thing, is that in my, in my experience, the stereotype that I have in my head of women that are always champion other women are just not the stereotype of what Indira is. To me, Indira puts so makes it such a priority. All the things she does is really to champion other women. At the same time, as a woman herself, she is somebody that could be getting all that attention and all that, you know, investment, that time, energy coming back to her. But she is incredibly driven about sharing it. And I can tell you, even in this show. I'm in this group show. She put me in the show. I'm really thrilled to be in it. I really respect the gallery and the work that she shows and the work that she makes. And I'm very excited about the piece I have in it. And um, anyway, she's also very fair about giving credit to all the artists, which I find really, really unusual. I mean, usually they highlight like the bigger seller or the person who gets the person who's more well-known or a couple of people or something like that. And I've noticed in all the press about the article I'm in, it's very, it's very fair. Like I can't imagine anybody reading it and think, oh, she liked her better, her better, her better. And um, so anyway, is my assessment of you making any sense, Indira? It is actually. It is? Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, um, an interesting little story. Um, When I first launched a gallery, we were working on this really big exhibit, which you may have heard of, Uprise Angry Women. Yeah. And I was approached by a writer, who I will not name, um, who was writing for Forbes. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to do a piece on the exhibit and the show. And they wanted to interview me. And they wanted to interview one of the 80 artists featured in the mm. exhibit aside from mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And then they wanted to do a photo shoot of the two of us together. Ooh. And this was at Forbes. So I'm like, I literally turned it down and people were shocked that I turned down, you know, Forbes magazine coverage on the exhibit. But I said, I am not comfortable with having everything be about me and one artist when this is a group show of 80 artists. Like, that's just not okay. I'm not going to do it. See what I'm saying? I- <laughs> See what I'm saying, folks? It's unheard of, Right. Would you be that generous? I don't think you would. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's really, that's really great. And the thing is, the funny thing about you, Indira, is that if you don't, like just on the most superficial level, I think if people get to know you, and I don't really know you that well, I'm getting to know you, I'm getting to know you right now, but I, it doesn't, it seems, I bet people are surprised by that. It's a disconnect for a lot of people, I would guess. Do you get feedback like that? A disconnect in what way? Um, like you walk into this fabulous gallery and there's this like fat, I mean, you know, you are, she could be a model. Did you ever model? I did briefly. Like, yeah, kind you of could in be college. a model. She could be a model. Um, so she looks like a model, but she also has great taste and you also have great taste, but you're also very um, polished, which is just naturally, you know, my mother never wore makeup and I'm a slob. That's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, I'm not naturally that way. You are naturally that way. You look like, you know, you you are a CEO. But anyway, so I think that um, when people 
just put you in the camp of, you know, like a powerful businesswoman. And there's a lot of empathy and sympathy and stuff that is forefront, seems forefront to you. And I just don't think that people assume that they think that you're tough, maybe a killer or aggressive or, you know, out for yourself. Do you think that's true? Do you ever get any of that feedback? Listen, I get a lot of, uh, of course, negative feedback. And I think often people read me the wrong way. Yeah, that's um, what I'm saying. Because they see how I look and they judge, they judge the book like the cover of the book versus like really trying to understand who I am, what I've been through, what I've done so far, right. so, like the decades of time I devoted to my career before like sharing it with other people and the, you know, in the sense of opening a gallery, like it's really hard to run an art gallery I, it, it's and then to me. be like representing and exhibiting all these other artists oh. instead of focusing on my own work. Oh, it's actually constantly a challenge for me to be crazy. like mentally, Sort of like why sometimes I wake up, I'm like, why am I doing this again? Somebody remind me why I took on all this extra work when I could just be focusing on my own artwork and probably be a lot happier. But then I think, well, you know, I actually really enjoy exhibiting other artists and I really enjoy having those opportunities available to them. And I think that it's a, you know, if I can do both, isn't that even better? Like, I feel like Uh I, I like to give back. I like to constantly push myself to learn more. And I think you learn more by um, engaging and collaborating mm-hmm. with other people. Mm-hmm. If it's all very insular and only about yourself, you're, you're holding yourself back too. Right, right. Yeah, you get a lot, you are able to get a lot out of it. But see, this is what makes me mad and me, and actually a challenge to me personally in that, um, we, we, we see a polished, you know, um, not just beautiful, but, you know, beautiful and, you know, powerful looking in that way of like, you know, she could be dating a president of a bank or something. Look, whatever that is, I don't know how to put that exactly into words, but that thing, whatever that is. And then we, I, we don't see that as a woman who is, whose main, really main focus is to help other women. And that's a problem. I think that's a problem that that is. So in other words, I think you should be able to project glamour and all and, you know, power and still be th- and not be assumed that you're, you know, a killer. Well, I think there's a lot of double standards that and that's one of the things that I really work on closely with my own artwork, as well as um, the exhibits that I curate is really addressing the double standards that we like deal with on a day to day basis, whether it's based on looks or beauty standards or based on um gender, you know, uh, there's so many double standards that women are constantly facing and beauty is, has always been one of those stereotypes that, um, if a person looks or dresses a certain way, people make assumptions about them. I come from working for over 15 years between London and Paris and Milan in the fashion industry. So yes, I do have a more sophisticated look than maybe the average artist or, you know, art curator, because that wasn't my career for the first, well, I, I, it's like, you know, it's like I came from a different world. I so. also want to point <laughs> out that you've also been, you know, you've gotten makeup tips and fashion tips from like experts, top experts. You've seen, you had, you have training. 
Yeah, no, I was working with yeah. the top makeup artists so, in the world every I mean, day. It, yeah, you know? anybody with that amount of training and real life experience, like I would probably be have, I probably have a great make, I'd probably be great at makeup too. Well, but, I mean, when you're, you know, to shoot campaigns for like L'Oreal and like, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, this stuff. This, you can't really walk away like working on a daily basis on in the fashion and beauty industry for like several, like over 15 years and not take away some component of like, actually knowing how to put yourself together. And I personally think that, um, you know, I can, I, I don't even make a huge effort. I, my, my morning routine is literally like five minutes. I yeah. wake up and I put on my black eyeliner and I'm done. Like, that's no, like actually the, I'm, pretty I'm much saying it. like, I'm, <laughs> I, I think, um, like you came in for the radio show and she's pretty barefaced folks. She didn't, you didn't go to a lot. I mean, you look great, but you didn't go to a lot of trouble, which I mean, I was kind of curious how you were going to present, but that's how she presented. But here's here's something I want to talk about, too, is with your work and with the work that you curate, it is almost, I would say, most of the work deals with the female body, yes. right? And um, so what is your, I want to hear you verbalize, actually, what your interest is in the body, the female body, and about the aesthetics of the female body, because I think that's, a big yeah. part of your yeah. work. Absolutely. And I think your work, your personal work and your curating work hand in hand, right? Yes, yes very much so. so. I think my curatorial is kind of an extension of what mm-hmm. personally interests me as so, an artist. So what are the messages that you want to uh, convey about the female body? I mean, you know, to be honest with you, I think a lot of it um, draws back to even my most early interest in education. I, um, you know, when I was a child, I was very interested in feminism and studied art history. And I had a, I have a triple major from Columbia in art history, mm-hmm. women's studies and French mm-hmm. literature. Mm-hmm. But women's studies was always a huge, like, uh, interest to me. What do you think drew you to that interest in well, women's? So, oh, uh, okay. long story short, <laughs> my, to that. my mother is a lawyer. She uh, is a human rights lawyer. Oh, wow. So, and she was a, um, one of the only women to graduate University of Chicago Law School in 1959. She was the editor-in-chief of the Chicago Law Review when she was at, you know, at law school. Uh, she was a National Merit Scholar. She was basically like oh. an insane, like, genius fireball of a intelligent person mm-hmm. right and she happened to have five children of which i am the youngest mm. she worked throughout my childhood and uh worked for diane feinstein to run her campaign wow. for governor wow and uh wow. later uh, opened her own law firm in sacramento california um when my so she worked with my dad like my whole career they had a business together as a kid mm-hmm. and then what um, did they do so they, my father had like a variety of different businesses that they set up together. She was a general counsel and oversaw the, you know, sort of legalities of the business. Mm-hmm. And he oversaw the sort they, of business thing. You know, they had in the auto industry and real estate industry. And, uh, you know, they had a multitude of different sort kind of interests. Kind of like a bigger version, a more profitable version of what you're doing. Yeah. No, I mean, they were in like five states. <laughs> now I like see what, You know, it was a pretty big uh, with production. With five kids. Yes. Yeah, so um, in, in Iowa. Iowa. So right? I, I was born in Iowa and um, my parents retired. My father retired when he was 50. Wow. Um, he was just too overwhelmed, like too much work on his plate, kind of burnt out and decided to retire. And my mother decided to open her own law firm when they wow. retired. So 
he basically became a house husband and she went to work like to do her own thing because she had always, it was her dream to always have her own firm. But anyway, having that female role model in my life mm-hmm. or from since I was a baby um, mm-hmm. and seeing my mother sort of um, and what she went through and, and the double standards that I also saw happening even in, at home um, growing up, et cetera. I don't know. I was just very, very sensitive to a lot mm-hmm. of these issues as a child and very drawn to women's studies, to body politics. And one thing that um, I haven't shared often, but I uh, have mentioned in a few previous interviews. So my mother was an orphan mm-hmm. and her mother died of an abortion, which is like a big deal. Wow. Blood poisoning due to an abortion. It was illegal. She was unfortunately oh. a victim of blood wow. poisoning. So my mother was orphaned wow. at the age of 11 because her father had already passed. So she was literally like this, uh, wow. you know, overcame so many obstacles wow. to do what she did. And also having that legacy of having a grandmother who died yeah. from the politics of this country and abortion being illegal and a woman not being able to make those choices for herself, you know, so wow. that has so it's really, really in your, yeah. So this is in my so DNA. That, it's baked in there. It's in oh, my DNA. Okay. Well that makes, that's starting to, it's starting to clear. That's, that's make, starting to make sense. Um, what happened to your mother? Was she brought up by relatives or? She was brought up by relatives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she pretty much just focused on studying and getting a scholarship. And she was a uh, all scholarship student to, you know. Are there other, you have four siblings. Are are there other girls in your family? I have one older sister. And is she like that? Is she like you? Is she mm-hmm. like? You know, my sister, she's, we're very different. Um, She lives in LA. She's a dancer, classical dancer. She does oh, that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and um, very, very different approach. She actually is an anti-feminist. She's not really into women's really? rights. Mm-hmm. She thinks that it, feminism has been set up to just make women be slaves to the job. Oh, oh, well, and I'd it, like to believe that. <laughs> that sounds good to me. <laughs> Bill, I'm never working again. So, You're on your own. Hey, right. So I'm, I work complete opposites. So when, how were you brought up? Like, what was your, what was your dad like? Like, what was the dynamics of male, female? So you had three, three brothers, which would mean four guys and three chicks. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what was that like? What was your so, dad like? I think that this is one of the reasons also why I was just very driven towards feminism from a young age is my father was very conservative, Catholic, sort of, uh, you know, Austrian, Scandinavian background. And um, he grew up on like a ranch and had these very traditional notions of gender roles and like the woman's place. And mm-hmm. even though my mother was a lawyer, he expected her to oversee all the traditional domestic duties in the home. And that used to infuriate me as a child. I used to be frustrated to see my mother with, who's a lawyer working so hard side by side running business with my dad, but yet she would have to go home and wash dishes or clean up. And that pissed me off. I was Mm -hmm. like, that's so unfair. Mm -hmm. So I think from as a really young age, I was very angry at my father for being such a sexist. Yeah, and I got over it, that eventually. He, when he became a house husband, he actually totally turned the switch and became a much nicer you, man. And we became friends like later on in life. But mm-hmm. as a kid, you know, that was a big issue. Did you say things or was it apparent? Oh, yeah. I mean, I applied to go to boarding school at 13 and moved out of the home at 14 to go to boarding school. Really? Because on I didn't want to live there. 
Really? Because of that dynamic? Because I was not comfortable being in that environment. What about your mother? Did you feel like your mother was letting your dad, she didn't stand up to your dad or something like that? Like, were you mad at her? She's she's very in love with him. And I think that um, she equally grew up in the 50s. I mean, where that was like how it was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it was like... You know, she was like a pioneer in, with regards to like her education and right. her career choices. And she always said to me, oh, she appreciated the fact that her father let her have a job and let her be a lawyer and let her, because at the end of the day, a lot of the other men that she met when she was in law school expected her to just be a housewife and have babies, which was the expectation of that generation. Yeah. I mean, you have to, but also you have to give that generation some, yeah, I mean, it's some attribute some of it to yeah, that. It's, it's cultural also, brainwashing. But basically. also, I mean, you're you were born in Iowa. Is your family from the Midwest? Or my, like No, my mother's from Texas and my father was from South Dakota. So I think Iowa just had a lot of tax incentives oh. to set up their business well, that, there. Well that's kind of that's <laughs> not that far. So do you think like they weren't in a did, I mean, how did like where were you all living? Were you living in a you know, in an unsophisticated, unevolved environment, like just as... Oh, no. I mean, I Des Moines, Des Moines, where we grew up, it was Des Moines. Very, Des Moines oh, is a capital a city. city. Oh, that's a it's normal a capital place. capital city. We had, our art center was designed oh. by IMP. I mean, they had a oh, huge all art and cultural, oh. you know, we would go to the, you know, we were constantly sort of very culturally engaged oh. and went to very good okay. schools. And it's a very good lifestyle right. in... Uh, you know, areas oh, okay. so, so there, was, it was not, we weren't mm-hmm. like lacking, like, uh, you know, we weren't living out in the farmland or anything. Yeah, we yeah. were living in a city. Yeah. So they should, so they should, so that's no excuse then. I mean, I think you have to remember like it, even in the Midwest in general, probably even now people have very traditional roles compared to like New York. Mm-hmm. I mean, we live in a bubble in New York city. Like people mm-hmm. assume that everybody's this forward thinking as people in Brooklyn and Manhattan, mm-hmm. but you know what, they're not. And if you go, today and drive out to the Midwest, you're going to see that there's a lot of people who still function with very traditional gender roles and stereotypes and, you know, or is still living that sort of um, picket fence reality. Yeah. And I think it's also, I mean, I think it's an excellent point. I think it's really important that we all in our little bubble here remember that because that is a lot of the world that we're, that's the world we're in. And if we don't learn how to keep um, communicate and get along with these people and share with them. Like we're, it's not good, not good for anybody. So I think it's really important that we remember that we are not, that we are not the center of the world. There are all sorts of people with all sorts. There's so many good people with so many ideas that are not in agreement with ours. Well, I mean, look, Trump would not have been elected if like the rest of America was not very different from like New York. Right, 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 right. You know, but, but people can't imagine it, and we're not really asked. We're all yeah. in our own bubble. Get I, out of your bubble. I actually feel very blessed that I had that upbringing in Iowa because I think I've seen a very different reality in the United States. Right, having come from mm-hmm. this type of community and background mm-hmm. and lived there until I was fourteen years mm-hmm. old, um, and then having lived in New York City and gone to you know college in New York and then moved to Europe. I mean, I've kind of lived around the world. And um, traveled all over the world. And I Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm very, I think that's one thing. It's just so important to push yourself to travel and experience other cultures, other areas, even if it's a matter of going to a small town USA and really trying to understand, like, who are these people? 
Yeah, I mean, you can get a lot just by going a couple hours upstate and yeah. seeing people in a small town upstate New York. You can, it's another world. Um, so I want to understand, though, the way, I know you, you said you went to um, boarding school, but up until that time the te- in Des Moines where you were going to school, were other kids, were your friends, their families similar to yours? No. With a traditional? No. No? What were they like? I mean, my mom was the, my mother was definitely the only one that worked. I mean, the, when I grew up, like all the other kids that I was in school with, their parents were just housewives. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you'd go home mm-hmm. from school and they'd be making you cookies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we had like, um, you know, a housekeeper that would pick me up after school and everybody thought she was my mom. Oh, <laughs> oh that's funny. That's funny. So your mom was pretty radical in she a lot a, of ways. She was definitely, um, you know, and it was hard because I know that she was really working hard to run the business with my dad. And, you know, it became like standard. If it was up to my mom to pick us up after school, for example, we'd be waiting for like hours, like just sitting on the curb for like two hours waiting for her to pick us up because she would get stuck at work. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is like a daily reality that we dealt with growing up as little kids. That's hard. And we had to... um you know, we sort of kept ourselves busy with mm-hmm. a lot of like after school programs and like studying mm-hmm. after class and whatnot, because that was the only way that she could like manage us. And was your brother, are your brothers, are they pretty traditional male, female role type people? No, not at all. No, are no, they? we're all pretty eccentric. Okay. So yeah. do they, <laughs> you're all weirdos. So do your brothers have like pretty enlightened wives and stuff like that? Or yeah, are they married and stuff like that? I have one brother who lives in LA. He's an animation director, tech sort of computer whiz. Um, he, you know, was one of the producers for like PlayStation 2. Wow. And he worked on Narnia. And wow. like he does very high tech sort of uh, mm-hmm. digital work. Um, and his wife is a, uh, was a feature film producer. Um, she worked on like a ton of movies. They actually met on the set of the film Babe, the pig oh, movie that won really? an Oscar. <laughs> they were they were both working oh. on the movie Babe. So pigs are romantic. Yeah, huh? exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, but in any case, so yeah, he, she actually unfortunately had breast cancer and uh, sort of like transitioned her career after that uh, to um you know less bad. demanding career. But yeah. um, he's a very cool guy. Um very creative and I have another brother who's a TV editor. He does like, mm-hmm. you know, edits for like Shark Tank and stuff yeah. like that. So you have, you know, so your family is, they're very modern. Yeah. Or like, definitely. Um, so I want to understand how, so, under, so that's interesting. And I want to understand how that translates. Like where did your interest in the body and the female body and all that come about? Like, so, you know, after working as a fashion photographer and in that sector for a long time, um, you know, I had always also been working as an artist. I'm just very drawn, A, to figurative work that addresses the female body because feminism really is about body politics. And a lot of feminist issues are related directly to the female body. It all makes sense to uh, most feminist artists. I would say 99% are figurative because at the end of the day, that, you know, dialogue really resonates with like the um, interpretation and visual. Um, it, it's it's like representation of women in society, right? And like mm-hmm. how women are dealt with in society, like feminist art is directly related to that. So mm-hmm. um, 
I think that, uh, you know, a coming from a background that I've come from B like my interest in feminist studies and whatnot, it all sort of comes together and makes sense to be mm-hmm. very focused. Right. Cause on, you have all that feminist studies exactly. um, education. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and like, I'm wondering about like for you, like, you know, like, do you feel that women are judged really harshly on their bodies? Is it something, I mean, your sister's a dancer. Is it something that's affected you or? I mean, absolutely. I think that, you know, one of the things that we really address in our current exhibit, Body Beautiful, is like the contemporary notion of beauty standards and how um, the body positive movement has become so important, Mm -hmm. which really challenges you know, beauty standards and like the idea of fat shaming and skinny shaming and people like, you know, feeling like they're not beautiful if they don't cover up their scars with makeup Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. if they, you know, whatever it is that, Mm -hmm. you you know, because every single human Mm -hmm. has like, it's the nature of being human is that we all have flaws of some Mm -hmm. component. Like there's, unless you're newborn infant, it's highly unlikely that you're like in always like, you know, a component of perfection. I mean, it mm-hmm. is what it is. Like as you evolve and get older, everybody deals with their own bodily issues and their own insecurities. And part of that movement is also about, you know, self-esteem and feeling, you know, like it's okay accepting yourself mm-hmm. for who you are and mm-hmm. feeling beautiful no matter how you look. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. I think that the emphasis on like traditional beauty is way overemphasized. And I think it's really great mm-hmm. that right now we're seeing a lot mm-hmm. more emphasis on diversity, mm-hmm. on people with flaws, on it's okay to show that you've mm-hmm. got bad skin. You don't have to retouch that pimple when you post it mm-hmm. on Facebook. I actually don't retouch any of my photos when I post really? them. I don't. And yeah. I think I don't use any of those little apps. I try to avoid it. Um, I mean, granted, mm-hmm. if you're being photographed like with a good photographer mm-hmm. with a flash on their camera, they're going to make you look good anyway. But I personally don't like to use any of those transforming mm-hmm. apps when I post on social media or whatnot, mm-hmm. because I think it's like, it is what it is. Like, mm-hmm. you know, do I really need to make myself look skinnier? Like, what's the point? Like, it would just mm-hmm. be yourself. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, um, and, and uh, I, I say that I respect, you know, I respect, this is not men and no disrespect at all. But I, you know, you are, you know, a, you know, you're a good looking woman and I find it like, do, do, do other women, like how do women like, so you're, and you are a genuine champion of the body positivity movement. You're authentic. I'm not, you know, questioning that, but how do other artists or how do people react to you? in the sense that you're championing all these different looks, but what you have is socially the kind of traditional look good gold standardish. I mean, you know, Uh, that's it. Hey, listen, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm over 40. All right. Mm -hmm. I personally don't think that I am like, you know, everybody has their own sense of self-esteem. I don't think I'm the most drop-dead gorgeous gorgeous person on the planet. Like, I personally, like, do my best, you know? Right, right. I mean, I've gone through a lot of uh, ups and downs in my life with my body weight, with um, how my self-esteem, with um, all kinds of things, you know? I'm wondering if you have felt a lot of pressure about your, I mean, your... 
I mean, we're not talking about whether you're attractive or not attractive, but you being in the beauty business and stuff like that. I mean, I'm just saying, like, is there, are you, do you have some, like, you know, rebellion against being being involved with all that or no. seeing that or? No, I mean, I feel like, to be very honest with you, also, when I was a photographer, I really had to play down how I looked. I really, mm-hmm. I I wore, like, really ugly baggy mm-hmm. trousers and, like, mm-hmm. you know, flat, like, shoes that were like boots and like couldn't feel I never felt like I could work and be feminine or be and I actually really when I started working on my own doing my own magazine and doing my own stuff my own artwork I was like really happy that for once I could dress up and be feminine and wear heels if I wanted to because as a a photographer I had to really play it down no makeup hair in a ponytail sneakers because you're like Uh working your ass off and you certainly can't show up on set wearing high heels. Like, you know, that was just not allowed. So I think, you know, well, it's not that it wasn't allowed. It would be totally inappropriate to be a photographer showing up on set where you're expected to be like managing all this camera equipment. And my camera itself weighs like 20 kilos or something crazy. It's a big medium format thing. And, you know, to be sitting there like running a, a set with all these assistants and crew and everybody's in like grip outfits, you know, crew, you know, like people really dress down on set in case you've ever noticed. Um, in any case, yeah, you know, if you saw behind the, behind the scenes pictures of me as a photographer, sure. where I was like working full time in that, sure. in that sector, people would probably be like, I can't believe that's the same person, but right. I actually, you know, this is me, how I am now. Uh-huh. And I feel like I always wanted and felt feminine and wanted to be able to like, dress up and wear heels or wear makeup and I couldn't do that when I was working Mm -hmm. as a photographer I had to dress it down and really kind of play down my looks because it wasn't about my looks it was about the model I was photographing Mm -hmm. and you had to run around and um you clearly I want to make this clear folks she clearly enjoys fashion it's not like you're just all about you know how do I look you enjoy clothes you probably enjoy picking out clothes and putting looks together and all I mean mean, it's an outlet it's an out I think it's an outlet for you it's not just uh I mean I think I don't really necessarily put looks together but I think I have an eye for fashion because I worked in the industry for a long time I have very um I've worked very closely with a lot of fashion designers and I often you know wear designers that I like, you know, I mean, I know the industry I've probably seen in my lifetime over a thousand fashion shows. So you kind of get like a little bit of an eye for what you like. And, um, you know, honestly, a lot of people send me free clothes. So I might as well wear them. (laughs) If you ever, uh, yeah, let me know. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) oh, well, I'll have to borrow something next time. I, uh, have an occasion. But anyway, never mind. So the thing is, is also a lot of, I talk about, um, I like to talk about sexual currency. I always find that I've talked about that Mm -hmm. before because I always find that such an interesting topic in the sense that how women, you like we, we can, women can manipulate men and get things based on their looks and how they use their looks. And there seems to be the problem I have. I mean, I don't, it's great. But on the other hand, I think that women also undermine being taken seriously when they do that sometimes. Like, how do do you have a sense of that? Have you thought about that? I mean, I personally don't really um, try to use or manipulate others because, you know, I think it's really important to just like, um, 
I don't know. I mean, I think that there is a sexual currency and some women do, you know, use their looks to get ahead or whatever, but that's never really been. And in the industry I'm in, it really wouldn't work, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's just not really like, Mm -hmm. what am I going to do? Like, I I work with a lot of women, like I'm surrounded by women 24 Mm -hmm. seven, like the feminist movement is almost all women, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like you're not going to really get much traction being like that with other Mm -hmm. women. Right. In fact, it's going to hurt you more than help you. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've found in general, the way that, um, I look often is a negative. Um, I feel like people make assumptions about me that are not necessarily mm-hmm. correct. And I think that um, it can also, sometimes people are intimidated for some bizarre yeah. reason. Uh, and I just, I'm, I sometimes don't understand why. But then, you know, and then I see other artists that are gorgeous and make an effort. And I'm like, well, nobody seems bothered by it, by them. So what's the well, issue? You know, it's funny. Like there's two kinds of women. I was thinking about this. You go in the cat to me, you're in the category. Um, like when I was, when I was younger and I would get cat called, there are two kinds of women, the women that I, I imagine men, like I used to think, well, that woman wouldn't get cat called because men are intimidated by that w- woman or they are you know, they were not going to do that. And I'm, you know, whatever the crazy person I am and I get cat called. Do you, do you, do you know what I mean? Do, did you ever get cat called? Do you get cat called as much as ever? You, I think, I mean, occasionally, honestly, I've always had this sort of, um, when I'm on the street or whatnot, just like very much like a, a horse with blinders on, just like, you know, focus on my own thing don't get bothered by other people Mm -hmm. i think that that's like a mentality i've always kind of tried to like avoid getting distracted um right and i think that the whole cat calling thing i mean for sure everybody's experienced that at some stage i try not to get offended by it i just sort of like ignore it but Uh I, i don't see the point in even like trying to let that like penetrate my emotional state so maybe part of what you're projecting is a certain groundedness actually yeah, I mean, I think also you're, you, little, you're kind of unflappable. I think there's a component of like making a decision. Like, what are you going to let affect your life? Do you let these little things affect you or do you focus on more important things? And mm-hmm. I try to prioritize like what is really important and try not to get bogged down by the little things. Um, if mm-hmm. I put my blinders on to, you know, and at the end of the day, like running my business, there's a constant like headache of managing the team. I, my tiny little, like I have you know, like I said, an internship program mm-hmm. where it's like a school credit or like a small mm-hmm. daily stipends program where basically like I'm kind of running the whole show myself. And then I have a little bit of help occasionally with part time people that mm-hmm. come in. And um, that can often be frustrating because people can be like sort of have un, like different expectations or expect a lot of um, how can we put it like expect a lot of hand holding or et cetera. And I just instead of getting like freaked out and offended every time something goes wrong, I try, I really have to just focus on like, what are my priorities? What are my goals? What am I trying to do? Where, how am I trying to make a difference? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let every single person's like emotional state and their own insecurities or their own issues or the cat callers of the world, like affect my <laughs> goals. I need to, you know, and I think it's just right. really important to prioritize, focus on the goal uh-huh. And that's what I do. I have like, you know, you really have to just, I guess then that's the point of what you said. I'm an overachiever, which I don't know. I just do what seems natural to me and sometimes maybe take on too much, which can be an issue. Um, But uh, at the end of the day, I think that um, if I'm inspired to do something, I, I, 
I do it. And if I agree to do something, I put 100% into making sure that I do a good job. Like I don't, I like to do things halfway. Right. Yeah. I get that feeling about you. You also have a lot of physical, physical energy, I think. Right. I mean, I probably get eight or nine hours of sleep. Were you athletic as a kid? I ran track and um, did. I was actually very good at running. Um, yeah, and I, I, I wasn't that into sports though. But, um, but I was you, on like the you know I played tennis and sort of a few man. We had mandatory sports in school, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I wasn't really that into it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't on any teams in high school or anything. As a little kid, I did like track team. So you were physically engaged, but not necessarily like a sports person. But I think that's really important. Actually, is to have like um, I think growing up. I, I, I would push sports on girls now. I think it's really important. I think it's really important to be physically, you know, active. I think it really helps you mentally. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I definitely go to the gym and whatnot. I'm just not, I was never really that interested in like team sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of just like to do my own thing. I mean, at one stage, like when I was in high school, I did like horseback riding and stuff because, you know, you just did your own thing. It wasn't like a team sport. So how, how do you get all this stuff done? I mean, do you think your mom set an example? Did you learn a lot? She must have, she must have, you know, been able to accomplish. She obviously accomplished a lot. So was it like watching her or like, how are you super organized? How the yeah, fuck do you do it? How the fuck? Right. How do I get some? No, how do you do it? So I think a big component, like people need to take a couple of things before I even go into like my day to day of how I do it. I think we need to take a couple of things into consideration. Like I've done all of this in stages, right? So I started out working on my own as an artist and photographer and did that exclusively for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Then I spent another five years developing my magazine and focused just on my magazine. And I was still like occasionally working on my art and photography, but I was really focused on magazine de- developing that. After about five years, the company gets to a stage and the magazine gets to a stage where it's established enough where it almost will run on its own. You have contributors established mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. working with you and it just kind of like evolves and takes its own mm-hmm. sort of direction. And then I launched the gallery and, you know, I've now, it's our fifth anniversary in January oh, of the gallery. So the gallery has also kind of become its own animal and has its own flow. And there's a lot of artists we've worked with for many years already that are working with us. Um, and I think that there's just that component of like, you can take on more stuff. Once you've established one thing, you can add another thing to your plate. Mm-hmm. Um, equally, I am extremely organized. I like live by Excel spreadsheets, like Google Docs, whatever. I mean, really? I literally everything, uh, all of my product, I, you have to remember, I also have, um, after I graduated college, like while I was working as a photographer, I did a um, post-grad like film studies, uh, for directing and film producing. And, you know, you really learn uh, when you study film production and film producing, like how to work on like massive productions, how to break them down, you know, how to um, plan out your budgets and team mm-hmm. and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that having also that film background and producing background, right, right. I can I can sit down and I can produce events of photography and the filmmaking mm-hmm. background really assists me with being super organized with regards to production mm-hmm. and producing and a lot of running a magazine, running your own studio as an artist, running a gallery is all the production. It's really about figuring out what needs to get done. What is my timeline to do it? You know, how much uh, staff do I need? How much budget do I need? How can I allocate this? And, and then you just 
focus on like having a final goal wow. and like the timeline that required to do that. Well, my head is spinning hearing <laughs> about that. But it works I mean, for you. <laughs> you know, it's breaking it down. I think that yeah, for they, every artist, one thing I think, you know, or for every person, like if you have a big goal, don't just try to swallow it whole. That doesn't yeah. work. You need to break it down. Right. So figure it out, break it down, say, okay, so mm-hmm. this is how I need to get started. Like, why don't just start with like building an outline? Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing that I learned at college, like do your outline first, like, and that way you can break it down your mm-hmm. whole project and then mm-hmm. work one by the right, other right. at a time to get it done because it's unrealistic to just try to do it all at once. You right. have to break it down. Right, 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 right. Um, so there was one more thing I wanted to ask you and then I want to talk about um, the foundation that you work. But there was one other thing I wanted to ask you and I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Damn it. Totally overwhelmed. Too much going on. I mean, <laughs> it that's was my just state. like looking. Listen, yeah, listen. Oh, this is what I wanted to ask you. Fun. Like, do you have any recreational time? Do you ever not? Are you ever? Are you ever not working? Are you ever like, do you go out to dinner with a friend? Do you go to the movies? Is there any of that? That's of what I want to know. I mean, I try to make time, you know myself like I you know you can only mm-hmm. work a certain amount of hours every day that's really important to me to get you know eight nine hours of sleep I need my sleep that's one thing I know mm-hmm. um, I really have low patience if I haven't slept enough and in the evenings you know after work I try to you know hang out with my boyfriend or go you to movies with friend friends there. I have a yeah, lot of that's friends good. and yeah. you have a lot of friends I have a lot of friends who are also writers and or artists and um it's really important for me to be around other creative people so it's nice to just connect and like you know do things after hours so you were able to do that too oh yeah like tonight I'm going to a film screening with a girlfriend of mine who is a journalist so we're going to go see the new bombshell movie with Charlie's their own so, wow yeah. that's cool See? Wow. Wow. Okay. Outlines. I think that's a good idea. You know, that actually makes a lot of sense. I'm going to think of, I think I'm going to think about that. So we only have six minutes left, which isn't a lot. And um, I think just to get this all down, I want to make sure that I tell everybody like how they can find you. Mm -hmm. I want to go through the body details for the body. Beautiful exhibit again and then i want to talk about this new project that you've just started um art Art for quality quality. okay so let's get through the Mm -hmm. the details first okay first of all why don't you say where you know your website and all that stuff all right spell your name so uh you can check out my personal work on my website indira cesarine which is i-n-d-i-r-a-c-e-s-a-r-i-n-e.com um, all my social media is also in Jared Cesare and I keep it simple. Um, as far as the gallery, uh, the untitled space, we're located at 45 Lisbonard Street in Tribeca. We are current show, Body Beautiful, is on until December 20th. Next week on uh, Wednesday and Thursday, we're planning a collaboration with Woman Boss, which is a super cool, oh, cool. fashion, beauty, retail, um, the all female entrepreneurs and they're going to be, we're going to be doing like a little shopping event at the gallery on Wednesday and Thursday where people can come and buy art and jewelry or whatever little presents they Ooh. want for the holidays. Ooh. Yeah. So oh, that um, that'll be a little fun thing to do before we shut down. We pretty much close the gallery from December 21st until oh. after, after the new year. Good. Are you going anywhere? I'm actually going to visit my mother in California. Uh, oh, nice. Good mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. And, um, I also want to remind people, too, that, you know, you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn and to make sure that you 
check out our fundraising campaign online, okay? So go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org, and it, we're calling it the Drive to Five campaign. So um, it's it's serious shit, folks. You know, we need to really, I mean, it, a lot of people, uh, we're doing a lot of great stuff, and we want to stick around, so make sure Check it out, all right? I'm not going to go through that spiel again. It's too boring. So um, tell us about Art for Equity. Art for Equality. So basically, yeah, so basically I realized like um, in my whole sort of mission to launch the Untitled Space, which focuses heavily on female artists, we represent all female artists and we our group shows are about 80% women, 20% men. Um, And, uh, you know, I've been doing the gallery now for five years and I really realized that like in order to make an impact, to really make a difference, you know, I couldn't do it on my own. Like I needed to be able to reach out and get help, get funding, be able to raise money, be able to, you know, get more people on board, more support on board. So I launched my initiative, Art for Equality, this past November, and basically it's raising funds for gender equality themed art exhibits and public art. Um, the facts are pretty astounding when you really look at, for example, even public art in New York City alone. Okay, I'll use that to cite one little example mm-hmm. of women compared to men and the uh, the issues that we have right now in the art world. Um, of 150 statues currently in New York City, only five represent women. And the so isn't this incredible? Like this? Wow. The, yes. Are you kidding me? Right. Let me pull this up. Hang on. I have are like you kidding? so. Yeah, it's a very, very low statistic. It's all the rest are men, right? So basically the um, New York government has now allowed allocated funding for another four statues to be added, which will bring up the total percentage to 6% female. Wow. Right? So that's pretty astounding. Um, Only two works of by women have ever broken the top 100 auction sales for paintings wow. despite women being the subject matter of approximately half of tw- of the 25 wow. you know, so um the other statistic that i think is pretty phenomenal is just that uh as far as representation of women in galleries and museums it's at 13 percent. so out of uh, 13.7% of living, living female artists are represented by galleries in Europe and North America. Um, all these statistics are wow. available and visible to view. And that's out of 50% women graduating wow. from art school and from graduate school with masters in art. So, you know, we have a 50% demographic of women graduating, but the percentage of those women that will actually get gallery representation is only 13%, uh, like out of the you know, everyone. So, I mean, all of this really adds up and I, I launched Art for Equality to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And you can visit us at art for equality, the number four mm-hmm. dot org and mm-hmm. learn more about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and hopefully, you know, That's eventually great. hear more about our exhibits and our plans and our fundraising. You know, you know we're Jira, be doing. I really want to thank you for all that you do on behalf of women. I really, it really, I really, I'm saying this for a lot of women. I think it's really, really valuable what you're doing. And, and I personally appreciate it. And I'm saying that I think for, on behalf of my listeners. So anyway, thanks so much for, for sharing that with us and being here today. And, and, uh, it's very, very interesting. And I wanted you guys to, uh, stick around because we've got great. Yeah.